Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. Today's episode is brought to you by Good Cigar Company. Go beyond ties and golf shirts this year. Do something different for Father's Day. Give Dad his own personal tobacconist with a Good Cigar Company subscription. Good Cigar Co. designs the first ready-to-go kit with everything needed to light up, all in a handsome pack that acts as its own humidor. Go to goodcigar.co and use promo code ORDER for 10% off any subscription. Note that's goodcigar.co and use promo code ORDER. For 10% off. This week's Lawn Order Marathon winner is Kat Palachisos of Rayleigh, North Carolina. Kat will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawnorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Diana Goodman, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories. These are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at SVU Season 5, Episode 3, Mother. This is what your illustrious Dr. Hines considers therapy. You know what my favorite time of the day is, Robert? When you come out of the bathtub, you're naked and clean and you smell so good. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. The one credit you didn't include is uh, completely freaked out by this episode of SVU. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm good. Now, you say, Rebecca, you have seen many, many, many episodes of Law & Order. I thought I had seen all of them. But I hadn't seen this one, and I know, because I would have remembered. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if your uh, partner this podcast has uh, a, a greater knowledge of this. Rounding out our panel is our special guest from the 302010 podcast. It's Diana Goodman. Hi, Diana. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Oh, my God. This episode. <laughs> I just, I'm going so, I, I want to go full Stefan with like, this has everything. It does. It does. <laughs> it's got civil rights issues. It's got house pets. I can't tell if it's a good episode or a bad episode. It has bubble IMAX from the 1990s. <laughs> oh, it has bros it doing cultural anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I want to talk about those bros so much. So, first off, tell me about your podcast, 302010. What's the concept of that? Uh, the concept is we look back at pop culture history this exact week, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, and 20 years ago. Not in that order. Um, <laughs> so, we're looking uh, at this exact week in 88, 98, and 2008. And Anything interesting happened then? Uh 
you know, it is it's really, really weird to just sort of go like, I mean, sometimes it's little fun things like, oh, wow, Beetlejuice is 30. And then sometimes <laughs> it's like, oh, this exact week, the Russians started pulling out of Afghanistan mm. and everything was fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so SVU, we now know, is going on its 20th season. Yeah. It was renewed. Yeah, it's coming up. It's coming up uh, in September. We get to cover the whole thing. <laughs> so 30 years from now, what will people be saying about Law & Order? Ooh, good question. Um, probably that it's it's a very enduring project. It's it's <laughs> They couldn't kill it. Yeah, they couldn't kill it if they tried. It's like it's such a solid format that you just sort of plug in a couple things here and there and it just works as a whole. Like I feel like like a lot of my friends like don't watch Law and Order cuz they're into cool stuff like video games and comic books. And I don't <laughs> That's not cool. I don't think they appreciate, you know, the the compact formula and how well it works. And I think that's what people will look back on, the enduring formula. Diana, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Oh, I'm going to go a little more old school with a choice I haven't heard. I think Logan and Briscoe. Mm. Oh, no one said that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, I think, probably the one or t- the number one or number two most popular choice so far. Yeah. And, and considering they really didn't have that many years together right. it was like two and a half seasons something like that yeah i i just always because i mean briscoe everyone loves briscoe obviously right but like it's weird to think okay logan was actually there first and then they brought briscoe in because logan is like a baby briscoe in the making <laughs> like you can see one day him growing up to be like briscoe <laughs> yeah and if you stuck around long enough on criminal intent you did it's true. It's true. Although he had given up the leather <laughs> sports coat by that time. Actually. And he hadn't. Actually. <laughs> actually. <laughs> Diana, who was your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Uh, I think I'm going to go McCoy and Carmichael. Oh, good oh. one. Yeah. Yeah. I like Angie Harmon. And like the more I thought about this and like paid attention to older episodes, I realized like what I like about her is. The costuming, yes, they, they make her. They always dress her really masculine. She's always wearing these double-breasted jackets, and it like makes a whole like character backstory for me. Like, she's so pretty, and she just wants to be taken seriously, so she dresses really masculine and just won't take anyone's bullshit. And it's like, I love that. I love it too, and I love that you use that reason. She's actually, I think, in my my favorite McCoy pairing as well because I love how she looks like. Very Connecticut, but then has this whole other thing where she's able to go into jails and talk to people and scare the crap out of them. And I yeah. I, I pay attention, as Kevin knows, much to his uh, chagrin, to the <laughs> costuming, like, very, very much. And the thing that they did with Serena Sutherland after Angie Harmon was they, like, would frequently put her in a jacket with no top. Like, just, like, the mm. jacket was the top. Uh-huh. And Angie Harmon was the last one to always wear those, like, super high-necked, like, like silk shells underneath her giant jackets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I liked I, I like her for all the same reasons you do. We're the same. It's very, Yay. very good for me. <laughs> and uh, she's probably the only one that had a big row of tattoos on her arm as well, right? <laughs> like Popeye? <laughs> all right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Season 5, Episode 3, Mother. Two guys whoremongering at a crack house are psyched as hell to find a woman passed out on a bed ready for action. Ugh. Has nobody ever watched SVU? <laughs> 
The victim is a noted psychologist who claims to cure rapists with her regressive therapy. Dr. Greta Hines has amnesia, so she doesn't remember anything about the attack. You are obligated to report them if they're a risk to themselves or others. If I had a name to report, which I don't. I have no idea who did this. And I can't have you traumatizing the innocent ones. You treat rapists. None of them are innocent. One of Heinz's patients is Benny Rousey, the former duct tape rapist. Stabler and Benson grill him on his whereabouts at the time of the assault. He says his ankle bracelet proves he was home. But when they stake out Benny's apartment, he'd slipped out the bracelet and put it around the cat's neck, mm. which makes way more sense than, I don't know, leaving it on an immobile object like the couch. <laughs> <laughs> don't leave the window open if you've going to do that. Benny's been breaking house arrest with his new girlfriend, a librarian who thinks he had a gambling problem. She helps the detectives catch Benny breaking house arrest. SVU learns a fingerprint from Dr. Heinz's ransacked office belongs to a lost student named Robert Logan. When Elliot and Olivia go to question him, he's being carted away after a suicide attempt, and Dr. Heinz is by his side. Hmm. Okay, I don't know about you, but I like these two dopes who started the show. Okay, I think I've soaked up enough atmosphere for one night. That paraplegic cooker's good for two chapters alone. Open those doors to perception, I'll promise you'll have an entire novel. His first complaint is he just saw a paraplegic hooker? Yes. Uh, yes. I, I was actually really confused by what they were doing there because it's it sort of struck me that they were like writing a term paper about Skid Row or something and they were just like slumming it on purpose. It really felt like one of those dumb like college student things where like, I'm going to go see the streets and then write about it. Uh, and then yeah. he was going to rape the passed out woman and that changed? Yeah, I was getting sort of a like, we're like Jack Kerouac, man, kind of vibe. <laughs> like, hey, let's just do crazy shit, and then we'll write about it. And look at me, I'm Hunter Thompson. It's like, no, no, no. you're not. Yeah. Like, I really want an episode about these guys going to jail because they're so horrible. They are. They're the worst. But my my favorite thing that I didn't notice until rewatching it uh, a second time is they go into this, you know, crack den, shooting gallery, whatever. Um, they go into this room. There's a lady tied up in a bra and a skirt, and they look at her and say, are you Enrique? <laughs> <laughs> also, like, they can't remember the three things the guy upstairs told them, like, go downstairs, down the hall, third door on the left. Like, yeah. as viewers, two seconds later when he's like, do you say second door on the left? We're like, no. <laughs> and if he had gone to the third door on the left, he would have found Enrique and not found the rape victim, exactly. and there'd be no story. That's true. That's true. Good point. Yep. Well, there's a lot of things that need to happen in this episode for there to be a story. <laughs> uh, I mean, the doctor having amnesia is obviously one. Mm. I mean, credit to SVU. They get there before the ambulance is even left with her. That's some fast moving. I mean, it, or it's a really slow ambulance. <laughs> it's both. It's uh, both. Now, they did get the one guy who fell over during the bust, and he said... Caught this one with his pants down, just about to do her. You know what I was just trying to help her up. With your penis? With your penis? I know, I know. Like, rare <laughs> uh, rare moment of wit uh, to a rapist, a would-be rapist, by the way, which he was, which is never mentioned again by the rape cops, by the way. Like, what happened to that guy's prosecution? Yeah, we, we never know what happened. The last time we see them, they're about to put the lookout in a pen with them. And they're like, hey, we don't want to be in here with the lookout. And then they close the door and take the lookout back out and interrogate him. Right. And like you weren't you don't want to be in a cell with the lookout, but you were literally willing to go into a crack den 
<laughs> <laughs> like now you have standards? Like how did yeah. how did the standards change in the last 15 minutes? Yeah. I, I'm looking for a crack whore who's probably very, very clean. <laughs> uh, but I just don't want this guy in the do-rag. Oh, no, I can't do that. No, no, I don't want to get yeah. too close to his tattoos. Also, do-rag guy calls them cholos, which is like, <laughs> who wrote this? <laughs> Come on. And also during his interrogation, uh, Munch and Finn are trying to be like real tough with him to try to get him to tell the story. And like, you know, they have the whole little interrogation scene and he's like, all right, he gave me 40 bucks. And it's like, <laughs> why is that bad? That's yeah. not illegal. <laughs> like, why, why are we holding that fact back? Of course, Dr. Heinz is a product of our favorite institution of higher learning. Mm. We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school. They really have not done a lot to convince us that Hudson University is a good school to go to. It's very, very competitive, though. We know that from future episodes. <laughs> we also know that it's not competitive because Kathleen, Stabler's dumbass daughter, also got into Hudson University. We've covered this many times on the show. We know that it's at once Columbia and Barnard, and all the other places you can shoot college scenes in SBU land. Yeah. It is basically the greatest school in the world. Apparently so. I think it's um, competitive in the way that people have to run away from tigers in the jungle. It's competitive like that. If you're not fast <laughs> enough, the teacher rapist is going to get you. Nope, sorry, you got caught. You're going to Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> and usually it's like if you're at Hudson, you get caught. Yeah, it's great. We got we got a, a kind of crazy teacher in this one, and we got a crazy student too. I mean, it's just, we never see the administration, do we? Or no, we probably well, no, do. Sometimes we do. We do when they have rape cases, and the administration wants to block the prosecution of the rape <laughs> oh. cases, which happens in many episodes. It's like a, it's definitely like a, like a, a well known like Hudson Dean who has been on the show a bunch of times. But yeah, I mean, I also think it's a testament to the school that uh, Robert Logan, with his many many years of known, reported, documented fugue state psychosis was admitted to their very prestigious law program and made a law review. <laughs> he made law review at Hudson. It's like being the hottest girl in Ypsilanti. Oh, we just lost our one listener in Ypsilanti. I know. <laughs> now we learned about Dr. Heinz's therapy method from, of all people, the scariest looking criminal possible. <laughs> This guy should play all the rapists. The bitch tried to emasculate me. Come on, big guy like you? She told me to suck my thumb. Excuse me? She's into that inner child crap. Gave me stuffed animals, read me bedtime stories. She even had me call her mommy. You think about Bruce Horton? Uh, is that his oh. name? Yes, Bruce. The fish the, chopper. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm like, he's like, I worked a double shift. I'm like, is your job literally just cutting the heads off of fish? Because <laughs> there were a lot of fish that day. I had to work a double. Uh. He, he was a frightening steroided monster, that guy. Do we want to call him our first red herring or like our second? Because like they kind of look at the husband, too. Well, I think he was actually chopping herrings, too. So that was. <laughs> Those were not herrings. Yeah, ah. we should have known right there. Really big herrings. Those were huge herrings. He was the first in, you know, we always joke about how one of like the well-known tropes of law and order is that everyone is just so busy when they're talking to the police, they just keep doing what they're doing. Uh The people in this episode that they talk to are the busiest of all of the suspects (laughs) I have ever seen uh, cops talk to in the whole history of the show. You have the chopping off fish heads guy. You have the lady who's literally carrying a patient down a hallway in a methadone clinic. You have, um, you know, the the nurse who is pushing the cart of meds around the loony bin while people stand around staring at him like zombies, leaving it unattended while just talking. It's like everybody is just way too busy, way, way too busy in a way that is super exaggerated. 
Oh, that's one of those things that just always drives me crazy on the show, how often people can just go like, look, I got to go. And they just walk away from the cops. Yes. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Try that in real life. Exactly. The surveyor who doesn't know how surveying works. The brother who just like starts waving <laughs> like a little to the left. What is he waving at? What is he waving at? <laughs> well, he's he's got a tripod. He's got a little notebook. He's important. Orange vest. Very important. Very important things to do. But we talk about this rapist guy because usually, like on SVU, the rapist ends up being like very creepy mm. and but a welterweight. And this guy Huge. was like, yeah, roided out. Like right. I, I really think that I'd be like, oh yeah, that's a scary rapist. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. believe that. How come it's taken five seasons to get to cast you? And ironically, it turns out he was right all along. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so they check in on Benny at his place of work. Um, and he's like putting together bubble a, IMAX. He's fixing them. Yeah, <laughs> he's got old school IMAX. <laughs> the skills he learned in the joint. <laughs> and then they're able to check in on him using Apple's Find My Eye Rapist app. <laughs> See the moving dot. Fifty-six at Broadway, two blocks of work on his way home. What are the red zones? Known areas of prostitution. Most of his victims were hookers. Well, they're now off limits. He's getting awful close to a hose zone right now. What happens if he takes it right here? Well, that would signal an unauthorized departure, and I would be beeped immediately on my PDA. Well, get ready. Nope. Resisted temptation again. So they're watching him on this map, right? And they say, oh, look at him go left. Look at him go right. And first of all, he's like moving through these these New York blocks like Pac-Man, right? He's just Oh, my God. I, I did the math. Because I care about accuracy, dang it. So they show him he's at 56th and Broadway, and then he walks down the street, then he turns again. So I mapped it out. It's about 1,600 feet, and it takes him about 18 seconds of screen time. (laughs) So he is walking at more than 30,000 miles an hour. And yet, uh, the moment his cat walks 18 inches outside that apartment window, like, the alarm bells go off oh, like, like he's left the apartment. Running. It's like, isn't he technically still in the apartment if he's on his own little balcony? I'm just saying, like... No. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, you think. I, you think. I don't know. I find this This was like another kind of weird red herring where it's like, okay, so now the episode's going to be about civil commitment. Yeah. That is, this guy, he did his time, but then he was put in an, inst- uh, an asylum, you know, and got uh, mental health treatment, but he's not actually under arrest or on parole. It's like a pilot program. I'm like, okay, so that's going to be about this issue that like you can be punished after you've done the time. Like Munch even talks about it. And I'm like, okay, here's where we're going. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and it's a super interesting issue too, and it's super relevant because you know they've, they've talked about civil commitments when it comes to pedophiles and rapists and so forth, and now they're talking around around civil commitments. And there's legislation in a lot of states around drug addicts, opioid addicts coming out of prison and being civilly committed. And it is a, it's a civil rights issue. It's an interesting issue, and yet, <laughs> as Diana pointed out, it doesn't really go anywhere. Let's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just leave no, it out there. It's got nothing to do with anything. Instead, we can watch all the cops and Wong sit around a lovely outdoor bistro and talk about remothering techniques. <laughs> Which I think was really wonderful for the waitress who kept filling up their water. Yeah. Like, to hear all about that stuff. You know, it's funny because, Rebecca, you'll remember that we did an episode of SVU that was from season one, mm. and it was called Uncivil. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had to do with, you know, a rapist who. You know, the state was trying to first, you know, get him civilly committed. Right. And uh, Cragen was 
the the voice of due process rights. Right. How can a man be found sane enough to stand trial, be convicted and do his time, and then upon release be found insane and locked up again? And here we are season five, and yeah. he's like, you know, we got to, like, wrap these guys up. We got to put them in prison. Got to put them in prison. <laughs> What's wrong with civil commitment? Ah, yes, after prison, toss them in the nut house, punish them twice for the same crime. Goes over gangbusters at the ACLU. I do love you. You mentioned Dr. Huang, like, sitting around the restaurant talking about this, like, progressive therapy. Is there anything he loves more on this series and his entire arc in this series than some therapist doing something that to us sounds like fucking bananas? And he's always like, (laughs) it's cutting edge. It could be a breakthrough. It's so brilliant. Every time he's wrong, like every single time. (laughs) It's like he's wrong about Jeremy Irons. Mm -hmm. He's wrong about this lady. Like, George, seriously, you need to stop putting down the progressive textbooks and just focus on the basics. Be brilliant at the basics. Yeah, I wonder what his uh, yearly reviews are like. <laughs> you know? Well, you helped that one arsonist, but geez, you really blew it on the uh, <laughs> on the mass murderer and the theory that he had too much sugar. But he does have to come back in this episode, which we'll talk about later, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Benny, we figure out, is some sort of electronics genius, mm. right? You know, making... Because he can take off a, a watch band? Yeah, I was like, why is this... He's the first to figure this out? I know how to take this uh, this ankle bracelet off. I'm I am a criminal mastermind. But you know, instead of like you know, he gets his way out of the bracelet and he puts it on the cat. Mm. But he's not smart <laughs> enough to close the window. Right. This guy Benny's climbing the walls. I think he's also trying to climb out the window. Just this cat. Unauthorized departure. Cat must be a diversion. Or just put on the mm. couch. Or like the bed. Yeah, why do you say, it's not like it's got to keep moving, Diana, right? I don't know. I mean, they say, oh, it can track him up to six feet. So it's like, oh, I'll show him moving around my apartment, I guess, as long as it's wider than six feet. But then they're watching the thing and they're like, this guy is pacing. He's going up the, like, he is losing his mind in there because it's just a cat screwing around. But if you leave it within, you know six feet of the television, I, I will tell you that's what my ankle bracelet would look like. <laughs> It'll look like it was just there All watching the blacklist. Long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just throw it on the bed. Oh, wow, this guy goes to sleep at 6 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just like say one, I just feel so bad for Benny. Like his rapist nickname was the duct tape rapist, which is the least creative, laziest, worst <laughs> rapist nickname I've ever heard on this show. And that is saying something <laughs> because <laughs> I find that they often give very lazy monikers to people on this show. Yeah, apparently he's the first rapist to use the duct tape. The only criminal to yeah. ever realize that the sticking powers of this tape make them excellent for committing crimes. <laughs> so his new librarian girlfriend is just so understanding mm, about this speedy. ankle bracelet, but he, she's never like, hey, how about I go over to your place? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I loved her so much. Brunette Debbie Reynolds, I called her. She looks so much like young Debbie Reynolds. And she sounds like her kind of, too. This scene kills me because she's like, yeah, no, I'm very understanding. Uh, you know, everyone has problems. And they're like, um, he was the duct tape rapist. She's like, no, he says he has a gambling problem. And the the look on Stabler's face when he gets to tell her. <sighs> Your boyfriend raped over 30 women. It's like this great mix of, like, I'm sorry to ruin your day, and oh, I cannot wait to ruin this girl's life. (laughs) And her acting, I have to say, the the whole episode, I went back and forth from horror to hysterical laughter. 
The scene in which he tells her and she starts to cry. In the early 90s, Benny was known as the duct tape rapist. (laughs) It is perhaps, and this is saying a lot once again, the worst piece of acting I have ever seen on this program. <laughs> really? Didn't you see the Mike Tyson episode? I could fake cry better than this woman could. She literally went... <laughs> no, I think she kind of went... <laughs> and then she opens her eyes to keep talking. Not a tear. They didn't even, like, they didn't even like yep. bother putting that stupid glycerin or whatever they use for that thing. They didn't bother with it. They were just like, oh, whatever. No one's going to believe this anyway. Let's not waste the drops. Let's just let's get the scene yeah. out of the way. Yeah, she, Why is she goes zero to sob in yeah. half a second flat. It's just like, actually, he's a duct tape rapist. <laughs> but he was so gentle. <laughs> Why is it like you're, you know, this violent sexual criminal, but like when you're out, you finally want like the mousy librarian? Right. That's what's going to turn you on now. Listen, it's because Dr. Hines uh, completely reprogrammed him. She rewired him, Apparently just like he's so. doing to those bubble IMAX. <laughs> getting rewired? Yeah. Didn't you see that metaphor? Didn't you see that? It was no. like, it was deep. It was deep. Well, it wasn't really. <laughs> really? Here's another point where I think, oh, this episode's going to be about this. Because, the, like, Benny was fine until the cops started harassing him. Mm. You know, they go to his job. He immediately loses his job. They go tell his girlfriend. It's like, his his life's all screwed up. And they're like, yeah, but we looked in your, your bag and you've got, like, a crowbar and your old friend duct tape. And he's like, <laughs> I was fine till you started bothering me. It's like, well, was he? Is that well, what this episode's going to be about? No. We we did see him skirting the edges of the hozone on the stupid cartoon map on which they were tracking him. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, very sensitive rape detective, for uh, completely like making up a term and marginalizing all the horrors around sex work and just calling it the hozone on a little cartoon map. <laughs> okay, aside from the fact that Elliot refers to it as a hozone in the sex crime unit. Mm. Would he not know what the hooker zone is? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, what is that red area? Yeah, and why is it that like that's the area that the the rapist can't go to? Right, right. Because it's like he isn't obviously interested in buying it. No. He just wants he just wants to like find somebody. Why don't they just have like all those red zones and alleys? Right, or all those red zones where mm. women live. Yes. <laughs> it can't be anywhere where a woman lives. <laughs> Yeah, but I like the hose zone is like it carefully follows the block so he can be on, on the right side of the street and he's okay, but left side of the street, no. They have one of those invisible no, fences the for the hose in that part of New York. It's like a little white flags. And they yeah. just like stand inside of it barking, running back and forth. You have to come to them. They can't come to you. Yeah. And he's kind of like acting like a FedEx driver because he ended up making three lefts. <laughs> when it was definitely easier to just go straight. Okay, this is what I'm doing for Father's Day for this year, I'm not doing neckties and coffee mugs and funny hats and stuff for Father's Day. I'm giving my dad a subscription to Good Cigar Company. My dad will get his own personal tobacconist who will help him pick out the cigars that he will like. You just have to start by picking the strength level, and they will send you or your loved one that top-shelf cigar at a great price of just $30. And each pack comes with not only the premium cigars, but everything else you need to light it up. And even a manual is telling you the right way to smoke a cigar. What more could you want? Oh, a humidor? You don't need one because the pack acts as its own humidor. So the cigars stay fresh for months. 
Take them out when you want them. Keep them by the bar. Pack them up for a picnic or a special occasion. It's a great way to give the gift of a cigar. Go to goodcigar.co and use promo code order for 10% off any subscription. Note that's goodcigar.co and use promo code order for 10% off. Now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Cannot wait. (laughs) Dr. Heinz says her suspected attacker, Robert Logan, was not a sexual offender, but one of her regular patients who had grown angry with her recently. I told him I needed to transition him to another therapist. Because he threatened you? No, because I'd lost control. Because I took him too far too quickly. He'd become obsessed with me. I thought it best he have a male therapist. So obviously Robert didn't handle the rejection too well. Logan suffers from blackout, so he can't say where he was the night of the assault, but he tells the detectives he and the doctor were having sex, Mm. and she's going to leave her husband for him. Logan's girlfriend says he's impotent and says she's dirty. Yes, she is. Oh, yuck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the night of the attack, Logan checked himself out of a psych hospital to go find Dr. Heinz, who declined to come see him. Huang says Logan isn't fit for trial. But why would any of his co-workers believe him? Mm. Because apparently they just... Do? They don't. (laughs) So at the hearing, Dr. Heinz denies the affair and Logan loses his shit. That's when his overprotective sister, Christina, shows up with audio recordings of the doctor's sexual fantasies about her brother. Heinz says it's all part of her reparenting therapy, but says there was never any physical contact. Christina confesses to being the doctor's attacker. SVU learns that as a child, Logan's mother died in a house fire. But did he start the fire, Billy Joel? They decide to give Huang another try because apparently they have so much confidence in him. Yes. (laughs) Logan reveals that his mother would bathe him, call him dirty, and tied a string around his penis in the hopes it would fall off. They soon learn that Christina set the fire. She did it not to protect her little brother, she says she did it to protect... Wait for it. Her son. Dun-dun-dun. Oh! <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have this protracted court hearing, mm. which is about Logan's competence, and it ends with Heinz's explosive testimony. Rebecca, what do you think about this scene? Well, the minute that we first see Logan and he's making these like professions of love about his therapist, I just turned to you on the couch and I said, okay, cue somebody saying, probably Wong at some point in the next three minutes, it's called transference and it's super common in psychiatry. (laughs) (laughs) And that did in fact happen. But then on the stand, you know, for someone who's supposed to be this therapist who's willing to rush to her patient's sides when she thinks they're in distress, which she says she's done twice in this episode... The way in which she says, you know, that when she's asked on the stand, like, are you in love with him? And she just looks at him real slow and is like, are you in love with Robert Logan? No. What? Why would she say that? Have you ever engaged in sexual intercourse with him? No, of course not. What? Why are you lying? Is it safe to say your patient was and is sexually obsessed with you? The fantasized relationship is projection based on transference. In layman's terms? He has confused the pain of his severe childhood abuse with the intimacy of our corrective therapy. In his mind, the two have melded, 
and he is desperate to believe that we are in love. Oh, come on, we are! Why are you denying it? Just tell him that, tell him you love me. Why wouldn't you? So mean. Like, super mean. Like, you wouldn't even break up with someone you hated that way, much less a person that you, like, professionally were supposed to care about. He had just tried to commit suicide over this breakup, and now she's being all mean girl on him. (laughs) Well, her tone is so strange because it's sort of like, it's like if they had had an affair, but it was just physical. Like, like, are you in love with him? And she just kind of goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, she kind of regrets it. Like, yeah. that's, that's that's not going to engender confidence until, like, he has to flip out. He, he just totally flips out. It's like, no, tell them all that you love me. <laughs> and Benson Stabler got to grab him because the bailiff is asleep. Always. And, and everyone feels sad about, oh, this guy's freaking out. That's sad. Well, that brings us to this part of the episode where we're going to talk about our Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. Ooh, okay. Can you name the actress that plays ADA Benita Amador? No. No, sorry. Okay, that's Marisol Nichols. I just got the results of a 730 exam. Powers the B say he's not fit to proceed. Well, they're wrong. Look, we just busted our hump getting this guy's state of mind. It was premeditated. It's not relevant. Doesn't matter how sane he was at the time of the attack. They're saying his Looney Tunes now. Right now she is playing Hermione Lodge, Veronica's mom on Riverdale. Huh. And she's been in a couple of other little things like that. Well, does she ever like, is she ever on another episode of SVU? No, because here's the thing, right? (laughs) It's one of those episodes where they bring in some red shirt ADA. Right. And they give them, it's like they're giving them a screen test. Right, like like the Paula Patton Mm -hmm. situation. Yeah, because everybody's talking fast and over one another. And then they say, who's this? Like she says something. And the camera pans, and it's quiet, and it's like they go, they they bring up her, and she's just like steps to the smoldering. camera, smoldering, and like she's gonna have this role, and it's like you must be Benson and Stabler. So it's like so so could it be? I mean, this is just like one of my dumb, not really understanding the industry enough theories. Could it be that she had like some like contract on some other show that they just had to like finish it or like test it or do? Mm. And so like they put her in this thing because like. They needed to give her something to do. Or maybe they were testing her for like some other spinoff thing they were thinking. It was, that's how it felt to me. It's like she's there and she's important for five minutes and then we never see her again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I was really feeling like, uh, is this a rehearsal or this is like, <laughs> this is the audition. I feel like this is the audition to be like, next seasons, you know, someone leaves and then they're like, oh, yes, ADA Amador, I remember you. (laughs) We've all worked with you so many times. Uh, You're in charge now. Hey, so that audio tape that Christina brought in it was pretty sultry. Yeah, it also didn't sound like it was recorded in an office. It sounded like she went to a podcast <laughs> no. studio in her basement to make those tracks. <laughs> I hold you close. You find my breast with your lips and you start to suckle. I can't listen anymore. It makes me sick. Another thing I do love in this episode where it's like, this is the kind of thing I bet cops deal with all the time. She comes charging into the office with her boombox and says, I want her arrested for malpractice. Which is not a thing. Like, <laughs> that's not a criminal charge. But I bet that happens to cops all the time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she comes in with the sexy tapes. Yeah, she had receipts. I mean, she was claiming the woman was crazy. 
And then she was able to show the woman was crazy. It was pretty great. Right. And it's the kind of thing, right. again, where they she gets the goods on the tape, right? She's like, this is my big evidence. She starts to play it, and she's like, oh, I can't listen anymore. It's like, I thought you wanted us to hear the evidence. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? I mean, tough it out a little bit. All the time on the show. It's the way they get out of getting into explicit material that we're not supposed to see or hear. Somebody invariably says, and usually it's one of the rape cops, I can't watch this anymore. And I'm like, yeah, that that's is enough. literally your job. <laughs> it's literally, somebody has to, and it's supposed to be you. Despite the tape and the accusations, it's really not clear if this affair ever happened. No, it's not. And I will no. say that I I like to believe it did, and uh-huh. here's why. Despite, um, it's almost like the, there's like a couple things that happen in this episode that are shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Not like in a plot way. Nothing shocks me when I watch SVU, but um, <laughs> it's just like the way the episode is put together. Way First of all, it was the terrible acting of Amy. Then you have Robert... His performance was great, I thought. And I thought, because he did the part so well, that, like, when he... I thought he was incredibly convincing in that courtroom scene when he was saying, like, why are you saying this? Because the things we heard on the tape do kind of corroborate his version of events, I think. Now, who remembers what the best iced tea line was from this episode? Uh, oh. There, there is one. Okay, so they're talking about Heinz. If she Freudian slipped it to him, she could end up serving longer than her attack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm just going to point out, doesn't he have to Freudian slip it into her? Uh, I guess that's right. Depends on what you're into. <laughs> Again. <it's>, uh, <laughs> Why do they even have Huang around? Because whatever he says, the cops are just like, bullshit. Yeah. No, he's bad. (laughs) Well, I think we find out. I I do think we find out because there is this like mystifying section where after they find out about the fire on the Internet, then they investigate it for some reason, which I can't figure out why they're doing that, because they also just found out that this therapist might be a sex offender. Um, Then they just like are looking into this fire, which they never explain why. Mm -hmm. But that ends up with Wong in a therapy session with Robert where in like four minutes he accomplishes what like 30 years of therapy couldn't do for this guy. (laughs) But you did get out after you set the fire. No, I didn't set the fire. Who did? She did. Who's she? I can't tell. Why can't you tell? Because I promised. What did you promise? Christina. And all I can think of is like, yeah, you're never going to see this guy again. You just like got all this stuff out. And he's like, you can tell me, you can share with me and let me let me hold you. And then I'm like, yeah, you're literally going to walk out the door and he's never going to see you again. So I guess all he had to do was mention the word fire. And <laughs> that was the breakthrough. Yeah. Didn't have to suck on anyone's nipples. <laughs> no, that was it. Mm-mm. Nope. It was it was like magic. It just it's it's so magical. We're like, oh, uh, I heard your mom died in a fire. I can't tell you about that. <laughs> Could you tell me about it now? Okay. <laughs> but you know how when Wong was talking to Robert and he said, if you killed your mother, it's not your fault because she abused you? <laughs> like, then why was it Christina's fault for doing the same thing? <laughs> because she wasn't abused? I don't know. Well, if you did the math, Christina was like 21. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, she kind of had some options. If you lit the fire that killed your mother, it's not your fault, but we still are going to charge you with <laughs> <laughs> homicide. But no. But no, you You're will s- be still going to jail. Was that the first time someone got cunt-punted on this show? Yeah, it probably I've was. I've never heard of that literally happening. You sexually assaulted her. 
No. Christina, there was trauma to her genitals. That's because I kicked her as hard as I could between her whoring legs. Yeah, I just kicked her between her legs real hard. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I don't you think that the rape kit nurse or doctor would know the difference yeah. between mm. just like a kick in the, you know crotch and actual rape <laughs> i mean you would think right there must have been some kick yeah, yeah it must have been like a uh, pointy toe shoe kick yeah or something. an intern or uh you know a very new doctor mm. who's like oh well i mean it looks like it smushed a little bit <laughs> <laughs> when you support us at patreon at just five dollars you will get exclusive content like the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, Laura's Rage Walk, The Crime Writers on After Show, and Married with Podcast with Rebecca and me. Start getting your exclusive perks for just $5. Join our own elite squad at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. That's patreon.com slash partners in crime media. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. Oh, boy. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode is inspired by the controversy surrounding Dr. Margaret Bean Bayog. When medical student Paul Lozano visited the Harvard psychiatrist in 1986, she said his depression was a result of sexual abuse by his mother. She conducted many experiments to have Lozano retrieve repressed memories of this, but none ever came. Bean Bayog switched to an aggressive form of treatment called reparenting. She treated Lozano like a baby, reading him bedtime stories and making him call her mother. Soon, the relationship became physical. The doctor claimed hundreds of sexually explicit letters to Lozano were private case notes that he'd stole. When Lozano entered a mental hospital, the staff believed his situation was made worse by his smothering relationship with Bean Bayog. After five years together, Bean Bayog broke things off, and shortly thereafter, Lozano committed suicide. His family sued the doctor and received a $1 million settlement. When Massachusetts authorities opened an investigation, the Harvard psychiatrist surrendered her licence. Margaret Bean Bayog died in 2006. All right, who thinks there is something therapeutic about being bathed by your psychiatrist? Bathed? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, instead of lying on the couch, wow. just, you know, let the let the, 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 the flowing power of the right. jets. Listen, I know this was a real thing, and I remember, like, reading about this was a big thing in the 60s, because there was, like, the, you know, there'd be these weird um, treatment centers where, you know, like, adults would be walking around in diapers and, like, eating with their hands and stuff. I've read books in this in, it, where this takes place, and, like, this is, like... You know, I think that was a kink, not a No, actual... but there's, like, there's, like, these regressive yeah. therapies that were really popular, like, you know, during the, you know, the middle of the century... But they were like kind of disproven as being effective. Uh-huh. And um, I uh. think that there's something to making you feel like you're going to be safe, you're going to be nurtured, you know, facing your worst fears, all that stuff. There's something to some of that regressive technique, but the giving your patient a bath. That takes it a step too far for me. Was was her experiment to see how much she could screw up a person? Yeah. <laughs> it's like she's doing everything right to make someone lose their minds. And it sounds like she succeeded. She's like, I'm going to have a great research paper. <laughs> see how far I can push this the is, guy. That I mean, that's just shocking. I mean, okay, the regressive stuff is one thing. It sounds a little going a little too far like a good idea that's gone too far but then when like a relationship starts dude 
Yeah. <laughs> now, the Washington Post wrote that this is a tale about obsession, but my question is, whose obsession? His obsession with her or her obsession with him? Hers, I think. I'm going to go hers. Yeah, because so she, she's the one who has power in this situation. Right, uh-huh. right, exactly. And if, if it were, if the sexes were reversed, yeah, now that's it the wouldn't other even be a question that it was it was mm-hmm. the obsession of the doctor. Right, his it would be his slash her predatory behavior exactly. that would be instantly recognized. Exactly, exactly. So I, I do think that you know we tend to muddy the waters when there's like a, a sexual crime committed by a woman like I always think about like the female teachers sleeping with their students like the Mary Kay Letourneau thing mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. how sometimes you'll hear people say well like I would have done that when I was 13 what a lucky boy and I'm like no mm-hmm. <laughs> not lucky to be sexually assaulted by an adult when you're 13 you know like it's it and when that gender thing happens we do just tend to look at it differently but yeah I don't think we should I try to swap things around in my head and see, like, okay, how do I feel now? Okay, I'm squicked out. Yep, no. No, 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 no. Can we draw an inference that her unhealthy relationship with a vulnerable man is what led to his suicide? Uh, is that the real-life doctor? Yeah. Well, it certainly didn't help. I mean, why no. wouldn't you draw that in- inference? Like, she brought him to a place where he was worse off than he had been before, she didn't give him treatment for his suicidal ideations. <laughs> she gave him baths and wrote him love letters, pornographic letters that then she pretended were case notes. I mean, how could that have helped? Well, yeah. I'm not I'm certainly not saying that it helped, but I mean, I think that's the inference, although I don't know if if it's completely fair or not. I mean, he was a troubled young man when he came to her and he she didn't right. help him, but if it were not for her, would he have taken his life is the question. We can't know that. Yeah. But I do think that family deserve that million dollars. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like she she made things worse. Well, after she surrendered her license, she still provided therapy for over 100 clients that she had, regular clients. Lucky clients. Whoa. Yeah, because apparently you don't need to have a license in Massachusetts to be a therapist. Hmm. As opposed to, you know, a psychiatrist writing scripts and, you know, the sort of medical stuff. Mm-hmm. But then again, I don't know, like, if that's the therapist that I want. Like, really? after I read it in the paper, <laughs> like you did. Maybe I would go there hoping that I might get a little bit of lactation therapy. Oh, God. See, that's you. You're doing oh. that thing again where you're, like, pretending it's okay that a woman does something disgusting. It's not okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's some guys who are into that. Uh, like, maybe. it worked once. Maybe that's not therapy then. Maybe what she was doing was actually <laughs> yeah. something a little different. The more I think about people, it's like, okay, this was my therapist, and then there's all this stuff in the news about all this crazy shit she did, and I still go to this therapist. My big question is, what is their health insurance like? Maybe they don't have a choice. This is the best I can do. It's the the only place without a copay. She's in the network. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Diana Goodman. Diana, where can our listeners follow you? Uh, They can follow me on Twitter at LeCineNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. And they can listen to 302010 every week uh, on their podcast, whatever of their choice, or 302010.net. That's the words, not the numbers. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And you can also, of course, listen to our other podcast at 
Crime Writers On. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Other Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.